0: Welcome, everyone. The starting point for this podcast episode is the acquittal of Donald Trump. And things just unravel naturally and nicely from there. I think you'll enjoy some of the analysis here. And we encourage you to give us feedback, be it positive or negative. Um, we'd love to be able to respond to questions, concerns, complaints about our uh, podcast, so please feel free to reach out to us, and uh, hope you enjoy the episode.
1: So we are recording one day after the second acquittal of Donald Trump, so we're going to start there, and yeah, what are you thinking? How are you feeling about it?
2: Well, I, um, I'm disappointed, uh, although not at all surprised. I had a hard time watching it. I did. I had to force myself to watch it because I just think it's that important. And I tried to watch it on a couple of different stations rather than just on my favorite station to get some idea of um, how these were uh, being perceived and how they were being presented by Fox, by CNN, by NPR, by the BBC. And uh, because those are Fox I hardly ever watch, but every once in a while I will just because I want to know how, how are other people hearing the same news. And it's rather startling uh, on, on all sides. So I had a hard time watching because I knew what the outcome was going to be. I knew that the Republicans had already made up their mind, that no matter how um, persuasive or how overwhelming the evidence was, which it was, they say so themselves, uh, Mitch McConnell and others say themselves it was overwhelming. I mean, there's no question that Donald Trump incited this, that it, he's the primary person responsible for the death of what ended up to be seven people for uh, a, a unprecedented attack uh, on our democracy, uh, interference in the election process. There really is no doubt about that. For anybody who even watched Fox News was able to say at one point, well, look, most Americans uh, actually... I believe he ought to be impeached. They they said that over fifty percent. Fox Fox was able to say that. Is that
1: li- removed or impeached? Impeached. Okay, because that's the first process, right? The House does impeachment, and then the Senate trial is for removal. Yeah, for removal. Okay, they, you know, I just wanted. They
2: were, to... they were they 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 were talking about over fifty percent of American Convicted, maybe.
1: think he should be convicted. Should be convicted. That's it. That's right.
2: So, I mean, that was surprising to me and and a little hopeful, although the rest of their presentation was was all centered on that constitutional issue, which is smokescreen. It was an excuse. The Republicans needed a reason to vote acquittal, and the Constitutional issue became the reason, even though they
1: themselves know that that's just their excuse. It's like a... You know, we had fixed trials decades ago where, let's say, a white person would accuse a black person of something and then an all-white jury would convict the black person and it didn't matter what the evidence was. Obviously, this is the opposite. Right The person in the chair is the white person, and the jury's white, and they're going to let him off. This happened as well, right? If a black white person did something to, maybe that's better. A, a white person does something to a black man, a white jury's going to let him off no matter what. The arguments don't have to be even remotely compelling. You have to go through the motions and you kind of want the, uh, in this case, it was the defense, right? All you're looking for is just give me something maybe that sells. Just something that our people, in this case Republicans, who are, what, 90% white, something like that, 85% white, that when they hear it out there, the public, that we care about, not Democrats, we don't care about them, that they'll say, yeah, that's good enough. I can live with that explanation. That that kind of sells. It's not good faith at all. I mean, the defense was borderline laughable it was so bad i mean at one point what they had an 11 minute video that just showed any prominent democrat using the word fight as if that meant something the context meant nothing i mean it's silliness it's embarrassing it's embarrassing that we live in a country and at the highest levels you can put on this type of defense of a clearly morally depraved person who lied about the election over and he lied about it before it even happened and then did it over and over and over again. We had this result that I think surprised us, but you couldn't be shocked about it. You know, that people actually took him seriously and believed him when he lied. That's what happened. And then they thought, well, I think he needs us to go do this thing. And they did it. It wasn't complicated, but that you could have that. You could then have somebody put on a defense that was pathetic and not done in good faith. Not serious. Not even serious. And then it works. Like it's enough. Like that's where we are. The Democrats put up a good faith, quality prosecution. Their videos were not doctored to be ridiculous. They were Donald Trump's words, right? So I'm I'm just so tired of BS, bad faith argumentation being almost the heart of the Republican Party in service of, I don't even know anymore, power. That's it. Really, all you can say is it's in service of power. I don't think that the majority of Republicans thought he was not guilty. The the Republican senators, I mean. I mean, do you think the no. majority thought he was not guilty?
2: No. In fact, reading again in Fox News today uh, and BBC, NPR, and CNN, I read read the their comments on them. Senator after senator after senator who said they voted to acquit didn't say he wasn't guilty. In fact, they said uh, over and over again, they said it was inappropriate, it was... Deplorable was the language one of them used, but it didn't even come close to meeting the standard for constitutional, for, for being constitutional to convict an ex-president to I impeach see. an ex-president. Right, right. So I, I think absolutely they could not argue on the grounds that this man wasn't guilty. The Republicans wanted to acquit, acquit. They had to acquit, and they needed an excuse and. The, the all the defense had to do was give him the out, give him
1: the excuse. Not it's, even a good one. Not even well done. No, just something.
2: Just something that we can say. Yes, of course we don't. Of course we know he's guilty. But it's not constitutional to impeach a non-sitting president
1: to there convict. Yeah, it's. But even that's not a good excuse, well, right? Because I mean, what if it? I mean, he did something very, very late in his term. But I'm sure they would all agree, if you did something egregious enough on the second to last day of your term, I don't know what that would be more than what this was in terms of being egregious. What are we going to do? You just In that last week, you can just kind of do whatever? By the time they get to the trial, these things take time. There's no possibility, really, in terms of the formalities of impeachment and the trial and conviction of having somebody, having a president do something unconstitutional, you know, a dereliction of duty. What is the words we use? High crimes and misdemeanors, that's yep. it. In his last week in office and convict him in time to actually remove him. It just, the process takes too long. So it's absurd. It's just really, really absurd. But even if it's absurd... It just has to have the valence yep. Yep. of non-absurdity, yep. just the slightest yep. possibility. Let's go find a law professor out there at at a school that has some credibility who agrees with us that this is un- this is not constitutional, and then that's enough for us. Yep. You know, integrity, decency, um, honesty—be damned. Doesn't matter. That's not what it's not what this is about. For the Democrats, it was. And for the Democratic Party, I think, largely, it is. Yeah. But I don't think that's true of the Republican Party currently. This is the sad... the, the Like, the bigger sad point for me is... What's happening is... Republicans are proving... Th- as politicians, all they care about is power. There's no greater virtue that they're protecting, right? They're supposed to be protecting the Constitution... They're supposed to be able to put um, the good of the country ahead of the good of their party. They are absolutely incapable of that right now. What that does to the general public is they say, oh, all politicians are like that. That's what they're all like. We don't have to be mad that these people couldn't put their country ahead of their party. Any politician would do it. Just reverse it. The Democrats would do the same thing. And I just think that's absolute. First of all, it's a cop-out. It's a total cop-out because then we can just vote however we want because all politicians stink. It's also just not true. Bernie Sanders and Mitch McConnell are very different people. One of them is a decent person with integrity who cares about regular people. Bernie Sanders, that is. Mitch McConnell has shown himself to be a man who cares only about power and keeping power. And really, only for the sake of power. And that is true. He is representative of the Republican Party right now. You know, I mean, give me a break. Elizabeth Warren. These these are good people who would put the country over their party. And so I just, I know people use that cop-out, and it bugs me so much. It's just not true. We happen to be living in a time where one party is responsible and acts on the interests of the country to the best of their abilities, has ideas, is trying to improve our country, and the other party is sort of just like this insurrectionist party who will do anything to keep power. And when you say it that simply, it sounds like you're being biased. And so people say, oh, give me a break. He's just biased. He's a Democrat. That's why he's saying that. No. No. That's the objective truth that we live in right now. We all have to see it and accept it, or we will continue down this crazy path. What do you think Do you think that's crazy?: No, I, I like I, I appreciate the way you say it. You say that
2: well, and you say it forcefully, and there are others who are saying it well and forcefully too. And I think we more of us have to first recognize it, which it's really hard to recognize it. I was thinking, I think a lot about the prophets. In fact, I read the prophets now more than I read any other segment of the Bible. I just read Amos again this week and find that the prophets are not speaking to bad people. The prophets don't look at the people and say,
1: oh, you're evil. Oh, you're bad people. I would say just one thing about that. I would say that the prophets do sometimes make that mistake when they're doing well, which is a lot of the time they don't make that mistake. Does that make sense? Because I think that the thing that we do too often is we glorify parts of the Bible and nobody escapes the mistakes that humans make all the time, right? Not even the best, the best parts of the Bible, not even Jesus, I would say, which I know is controversial, but even the prophets. So you will find parts where you're like, whoa, you are being really hard there. That's a little too much, right? And so I just, just that I think that corrective is helpful because somebody might go and read Amos and find a yeah. couple spots where he kind of goes over the top. But I, I take your point. But you know what I mean by that? I do. In fact, uh, I read Amos today, and he's,
2: you know, he's calling the women, you know, cows of Basham, and yeah, saying some pretty harsh
1: things. It's ad hominem, right? Yeah, but at the
2: same <laughs> time, he's also. I think the prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Micah, Amos, these are the ones that I read the most, those four. I think that uh, by and large, and like let's in, then let's go to John the Baptist and Jesus. I think they too were not feeling that they were speaking to bad people. They were speaking to people who had lost the sense of what they were supposed to be about they had forgotten i think um the human obligation to care for those who are vulnerable for example and so what they're challenging these people to be is to be better and uh, i think that's what i'm trying to do as well i'm I, I sometimes you know get accused of being too hard on white people or white christian people and you know, I I think most of the time I'm not hard enough on white Christian people right now. What I want to say to white Christian people is we we could be better, and if we were better, we could make things better. But it starts by taking an honest look at ourselves. We are not part of the problem. We are primarily the problem and have been for a long, long, long time, centuries. We have had our way. We have been on top of the food chain for centuries. We have used that power and those resources to keep ourselves in power and to put ourselves first. And that's what I think the Republican Party does. The Republican Party is the white Christian party primarily. And I find it shameful most of the time. And this impeachment is another incident, uh, incidents when... What they could have done to heal this country, they could have thrown Donald Trump under the bus, which is where he belongs, and they could have said to their constituency, look, we know that many of you think this guy walks on water. He doesn't. He's bad news. He deserves to be impeached, and we're going to convict him. We're going to do it overwhelmingly so, Mm -hmm. and that would have been a gift to America. Absolutely. And they weren't able to do that. And I look at white Christians right now, and I say most of us aren't willing to do that either. Yep. We're not willing to throw people like Donald Trump and Lindsey Graham and Mitch McConnell under the bus where they belong.
1: Mm-hmm. And, uh, unless they want to change. Yeah, well, And that's an opportunity. I mean, you always have an opportunity to change. There's this discourse sometimes around... Um, This is not who we are. Joe Biden will say that, right? This is not who we are. But it's never true, right? First of all, this this idea that there's perfect continuity of the United States from its founding until now, that you could say the United States is this and define it perfectly, you'd always be leaving something out, right? A country and a person is always complicated. Am I the same person I was when I was 10? Maybe, maybe. But hopefully not. Hopefully, I've changed considerably, and I think I have. In 10 years from now, I hope people look and say, I can see the Joshua 44, but this is a better version. You know what I mean? And so, when we say this is not who we are, I do think we're being um, aspirational, and I think that's good. But part of what you're saying is, when we say this is not who we are, we're also avoiding the hard conversations that need to be had in order for us to not be that going forward, right? It just happens, all that happens in families, it happens to us personally, right? When we have something about us that we just feel so strong in us and it's harmful to us, but we feel like, well, that's just how I am. That's just how I am. I'm, I'm, I, you know, I'm whatever it may be. We all have done this. And it's like, No, you can change, but it's harder than staying the same. That's correct. But there's also a beautiful version of you or the country that lies ahead, but you can't get there by saying, I'm going to avoid any change or any acknowledgement of my faults. And it's, it's so enticing and, and. You know, white Christianity has just been able to avoid that. And we can do it again. And we just might. Yeah. But part of what we're trying to say is like, there's a beautiful version of white Christianity ahead of us. Yep. But we have to confront the past and change. Yep. It's the only possibility for something beautiful. Otherwise, we will become this very, very destructive, ugly force in the United States, which is what we saw for the last five years on full display, just the veil totally pulled away on all the ugliness that's within white Christianity, and what we saw, however, also at the same time, is we saw resilience, we saw people rising up, changing, changing going into the streets for Black Lives Matter, people that wouldn't have done so 10 years ago. We see people standing up for the LGBTQ community within white Christianity. We see people asking the hard questions about the Bible, about Christian theology, what's destructive about it, what's ugly about it. This is also happening right now. I think for a time, you and I wondered is it really happening? Are we? Re- is, this, is it just us who are having these feelings and wondering and talking amongst ourselves? Or is there something bigger happening? And I'm now utterly convinced something really big is happening. And the choices as they lay in front of us, um, I think, is will traditional white Christianity beat back this group speaking truth to them I'm not saying we have all the truths the whole point of us is we don't have all the truths that's what part of what we want to say to you but that we can seek them right we can go forward seeking those truths or we can stick with these old truths that have now been exposed to not be true and wh- and what are we going to do so Part of our call is for people like us who, for some reason, have been given eyes to see. And I don't know why. I'm not saying we're better than anybody. It's not because we're more educated, although I do think that helps some. But I don't think that's a a cure-all at all. I know lots of people as educated as me who are perfectly content uh, in white Christianity and in the old school theologies that have proven themselves Um, destructive I would say but for whatever reason we have and lots of other people have too and they're ready to see and to wrestle and to change will we do it is where we are right now I think
2: yeah I think one of the things that I think 20 years from now in college classrooms podcasts like this one and there are many many Podcasts like this one, it won't be this one because we're it won't be this time. One, but right? so but I, let's not pretend. like this one. Be like this right. one. There are going to be required curriculum in colleges as college professors try and help students, religious students, and others understand what happened to white Christianity in America and how it declined so rapidly. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think podcasts like this are going to be important, uh, almost prophetic in that regard, unless, because this is the reason we do podcasts like this, unless enough people listen to podcasts like this and say, hey, you know, they may be full of baloney in some places, but they got a point. And the point they have, we should be thinking about. We should be thinking about these things because if we could start having a conversation around these things if we could have a fellowship of um of people who said who were able to say i don't what i care about is what path are you on and who's walking with you on this path because i don't care who they are or what their brand is or any of that if they're walking toward goodness and light And kindness, if they're seeking the common good, if they're seeking to uh, drive down, to break down walls and barriers, then I'm with them, and they're with me, Mm -hmm. and we can begin to build on that, I think, and and for me, things like the Bible would still be important in that type of a group, for me, that would still be important, the Bible's still an important book to me, extremely important book to me. And uh, being a Christian is extremely important to me. I'm never going to give up on that totally. I'm just not. That's my tradition. That's who I am. But I need to be with people who want Christianity to evolve and get better and grow Mm -hmm. and grow into the future. That's right. And these are the kind of things that I feel more and more people are being drawn to and I'm I'm hopeful about that, you know. Mitch McConnell yesterday had was quite a quite an
1: astounding
2: speech that he.
1: It was. It, it was so. I I felt. I don't even know what to say about it. I was so mixed. I was like, "Thank you for saying that." You are, the minority leader, of the party that could have, convicted him, and if you had said, "We're doing this." You could have gotten all your people in line, probably every last one. And
2: not only that, but you'd have changed America for yeah, the better. Just like that. Yep that, that, that one small thing would have changed America for the better. Absolutely. It started moving us in the right direction. Yep. And um, I think the Republican Party would have been the better for it, and I know the country would have been the better for it. But here's the thing that, again, going back to that bothered me. He's like, 74 million people aren't responsible for the insurrection a few hundred people are 74 million people didn't encourage that mob to go in there and do that one person did and this is the kind of thing that just drives me crazy because it's not helpful yes 70 more 74 million people are responsible they voted for Donald Trump when they had a better candidate we had an opportunity to overwhelmingly say to Donald Trump and people like him, this is not the world we want to live in. We will not follow leaders like you, Mm -hmm. no matter how much it benefits us to have you in leadership, because you are the kind of person that's pushing through the agenda we want. No matter what, you are not the kind of person that we will follow anywhere, especially if we're Christians, Mm -hmm. because wherever you're going, it's in a different direction than where Jesus is going. I guarantee you on that.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and
2: I'm not talking about, oh, pro-life, pro-whatever. I'm just saying in terms of how you live your life. Just
1: human decency.
2: Human, your values. Your, Court, Jesus, yeah. your, your your willingness to put others first. Your willingness to suffer for the sake of others. The servant all of these things that mm-hmm. that draw me to Jesus and will yeah. always draw me to Jesus, mm-hmm. you know. I guarantee you, him and Donald Trump are not on the same path. That's right. If they are, I'm not. I don't know what path I'm on. The I'm not on the Jesus path. If Trump is, that's all I. That's need to correct. Be. If Trump's on the Jesus path, I'm not
1: and don't want to be.
2: No, I. That's right.
1: That would be that would be the ultimate truth. That's um,
2: right. And people again who supported Donald Trump don't want to identify with him. They want to say, Well, no, it's not that we think he's a good guy. It's not that we want to be like him. It's not that we are like him. It's that we like his policies. Look at the judges. Look at all of this. Look at look at he the tax break and the economy and all that. And they wanna say, We we're not identified with him. I'm
1: sorry, but you can't do that. You you won't get away with that.
2: No, you can't do that. You, you can't
1: do that. Also, you, there's also a big portion of them who are perfectly happy with everything about him. I mean, that might not be around here, right, in, in southwest Michigan. Maybe that's not a lot of what we're encountering, but he received, if not the second most votes any president has ever received. It can't be any maybe the third most. I mean, Biden received the most votes any president has ever received, and I I gotta think Trump might be the second most. Those weren't all just white Christians who were holding their nose. We got Trump flags up around here. Yeah. Every Trump flag we know we know with almost certainty is a white Christian,
2: and likely the one hanging the flying the flag is the is the man and the family too.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So I mean, I think we also have to acknowledge. Some people are perfectly happy with who Donald Trump is as a president. It's what they want, which is even scarier. Yeah, but
2: we can confront that. I mean, I think this is what my my call out to people who are listening to this podcast is pretty soon Josh and I need to stop focusing on Donald Trump. We are compulsive about this guy and have been for a long, long time. Well, it's
1: almost behind us now. and. You know, I mean, now it's almost behind us, I think, in in less than two, you know, in four years he runs again. It's almost behind us. The thing that's not behind us yeah. is his movement is not behind us. Not Trumpism. Part of what we had, part of what we're um, lamenting is that there was this opportunity yesterday mm-hmm. to start to say Trumpism will not be a legitimate part of one of our two parties. So it will have no place. It will have no organizational space in American politics. It could carve its own, but it's not going to, obviously it's not going to be the democratic party. And yesterday the Republicans that could have said not here either. And so I think, yes, we don't want to be obsessive about Donald Trump, but we also can't pretend that it, you know, we're, we're just acknowledging it's not over. Right.
2: Right. I, um, know whether this, where this applies, but I was talking to a young pastor the other day, a really good guy, and, uh, you know, he's trying to be integral, he's trying to, to speak truth in a way that's nuanced and subtle, because in some ways, he really doesn't have a, a choice to do anything other than that, because it's such a dangerous place the church right now to, to be honest, to be transparent. If you're a pastor, uh, it's, you are vulnerable. Um, there are, you know, people are listening for trigger words and all that, but he said, uh, he's reading, um, um, Brian McLaren's book, faith after doubt, mm-hmm. uh, something you and I'll talk about in a, yep. in a future podcast. And he was reading me the first paragraph or one of the, early paragraphs in it about where McLaren is writing about his experience in what we're talking about, the LGBTQ, the challenges about Scripture and beginning to look at Scripture more and more critically and um, all of these kind of things, raising doubt, raising doubt and embracing doubt. And he's doing this, McLaren, while he's the pastor of a church. And he's doing it really privately, which is what this young man is doing. And several young men, I just know young men. Well, that's not true. I know a couple of young women, too, who are doing the same thing. And they're leading churches, right? And finally, McLaren has a friend of his come and say, "Um, when are you going to bring the leadership in on what's happening to you? When are you going to invite us to go along with you on the journey? And McLaren said to him, do not bring that up at leadership meeting. Please don't do that to me. I need this job. And what does the guy do? Next leadership meeting, he brings it up. He said, I have this question. Are we going to go along with Brian on this journey he's on, or is he going on his own? The leadership overwhelmingly voted to go along with McLaren on this trip.
1: You had me nervous there, but... Glad and, it ended that way.
2: And what this young man was saying to me, I believe, he never said it out loud, mm. was saying is, do I dare do that?
1: Right, right.
2: And I couldn't encourage him to do that. I, I We didn't have time either, and, and he and I will talk again, but mm-hmm. what he's really asking is, should I do this? Right. Should I have the courage to just say right. to my congregation, my leadership, here's where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Do you want to travel down this road with me? Or do I go down this road by myself? Right, and I wonder mm-hmm. uh, how surprised pastors might be if they were able to be a little more transparent and take take a little more risk. And I know I'm asking a lot, but I think time calls for it. I think the prophets, Jesus, John the Baptist, all of them would say, "You know, I got to." Times are Rome is burning, folks. Yeah. And the church is collapsing. I know. I know. There's a whole lot of people who don't believe that, and uh, and I might be dead wrong, but I don't think I am. I think the signs are are pretty pretty evident that that's happening. There's a movement that's,
1: or it's going to become a, an even more destructive force in American society and eventually around the world than it is now.
2: We have the opportunity, though, to transform the world. I mean, that's right. Any organization of our size. with our resources, if we could just become more tolerant, more open, less afraid. I mean, it just drives me nuts when I see this faith over fear thing, and I know the people who are putting those on their lawns are the most frightened people in the city. (laughs) They're, They're afraid of so much, including somebody like me, or you, especially somebody like you. They're so afraid that... You might corrupt them or their children, yeah. or I mean, more of their like,
1: children and ga- grandchildren. Right, that's the big concern. But I look at
2: that and say, y- your children and grandchildren aren't going to be corrupted by me or by Josh or by people like us. You know, if they're going to be corrupted, it's by the fact that nobody like us is willing to talk with them about these things. So they go to social media, and they get their information there. They don't get it from people who love them and they trust. I'm not worried about our children and grandchildren. Mm-hmm. They're able to talk about this stuff. Mm-hmm. They're going to be fine. They're going to take a critical look at lots of things in life and make decisions for
1: themselves. The big concern I have is, what are we going to leave the this next these next generations? Right, we're saddling them with college debt like crazy we're dropping them into capitalism which is frankly predatory capitalism doesn't care for all the workers doesn't take care of people doesn't give people the health care they need doesn't give people the vacation time and the family leave that they need. maternity leave there's no guaranteed maternity leave in this country let alone other countries already have paternity leave and um Systemic racism. How is it in 2020, we know with almost certainty that most white Christians, it's not that they're not learning and thinking about systemic racism, they don't think it exists. And in fact, they've decided there might be more racism against white people than black people currently. That's where their heads are at. So they want to worry about their kids, what, losing faith in Jesus. And they don't want to look around at the society we've created and worry about that, which is going to be a part of their future. Is there going to be a planet, a habitable planet, two generations from now? I don't think we can say for sure that there is. Some places are going to be underwater, places people currently live in right now. Places where they grow crops in the United States well are going to be too dry and too hot. I mean, we're two, three decades into this conversation and one of our two major parties, and it happens to be the party that has most white Christians in it, is still not sure climate collapse and climate change is a thing. I mean, the absurdity of where we're at right now, it boggles the mind. The fights that we are having, the fights that Christians are, cho- white Christians are choosing to have, it can't take us into a flourishing, good, beautiful future. It just can't. And what we need to do, and I'll just sort of end, this is probably the last thing I I really want to focus on today, is like, I listened, and I had you listen a little bit to it, to this African-American man. Uh, Cornel West is his name. He's a public theologian and um, philosopher. And he has this infectious personality. And he was talking about the importance of embracing struggle, and he was saying to on his podcast, he was saying it's not about thinking or talking about victory right now. Think, it's, it's just not where we're at. He says things are getting so bad that we just have to focus on what fortifies us, right? And he says there is a certain victory in sustaining a high quality struggle, a struggle rooted in integrity, honesty, decency, and service to others. It was it was such an g- important word to me. Um, and I realized, as I heard it, I realized, white people, generally speaking, we don't know anything about struggle. Not really. We all have our daily struggles, our personal struggles, but, like, the struggles that black Americans, and in his case, black Christians, think of that, in this country, what they've had to put up with. And here they are. Still struggling, still fighting, still believing in our country, right? And I love this idea that uh, for us as we work in Israel-Palestine too, we, we've learned if you're going to focus on victory, which is what he's saying, he's like, we can't be thinking about victory right now. If that's going to be your focus, you will give up. So this beauty of saying sustaining a high-quality struggle, he says in here, it there's a certain victory in that alone. And that's that's sort of the word I want to give to people who are who are ready, you know? If you're not ready, I hope you get ready someday for this struggle because we need everybody. But if you're if you're feeling kind of ready, but maybe you're a little bit scared or maybe you can't see how we're going to win the struggle. There's a certain victory in a high-quality struggle, especially when it's based on these virtues he talks about, you know, integrity, honesty, decency, service to others. That's where I'm at right now. And, and he even talks about joy. And he's a joyful man if you listen to him speak. You know, finding a kind of joy in being engaged in the struggle. I mean, imagine that. We, we that that's, that's a good, good word that the white Christian church needs to hear. Because we think struggles are like we can't say Merry Christmas anymore at Target. The ridiculousness of that. That that's a struggle that we're currently in. Or or we're in a struggle because uh, people are saying we're bigoted when we say bigoted things about the LGBTQ community. Or we don't want to make a cake for a gay couple that comes into our shop. Or we don't want to sign a marriage certificate for a gay couple. That's our big struggle. That's our persecution. That's ridiculous. That's a joke. And you need to stop it with that stuff that is not struggle that is not persecution you are actually in some of these cases right you are actually taking persecuted people actual persecuted people and saying they are persecuting you African Americans LGBTQ community stop it you just have to stop it
0: Hey, thanks so much for listening, for sticking with us to the end. I hope you found something in there that was useful or thought-provoking. And we'll be back again next week. Take care.